my name is Owen Walsh, and you're listening to the latest episode of Cabin Fever. Less a podcast than a group therapy session for writers, brewers, and friends from around the world who like to enjoy a beer together, but can't for now. There's a lot going on in the world right now, and under normal circumstances, we'd get together in the pub and thrash out our ideas over a beer or two. But we can't, because most of us now live in countries where it's impossible to go outside, never mind nip around the corner for a drink. We'd love to hear from listeners out there how you're getting on, what you're doing to cope, and what you're drinking. So feel free to get in touch on social media. You can find me at Owen Walsh, or you can send me an email at owen at beercity.brussels. I'd love to hear from you. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. I'm delighted to be joined on the latest episode of Cabin Fever, episode number 16, if you can believe it. I still can't. Uh, I didn't think I'd be doing as many of these episodes as we have done, and I hope I won't be doing that many more. But this evening, this Monday evening, I'm delighted to be joined by my uh, three next guests, all three new to the podcast. First up is Susan Boyle, uh, writer, drinks consultant, uh, brewer, also on occasion, um, based in Ireland. Hi, Susan. Hi. Thanks, Owen. It's lovely to be here with you and have this chat. Virtually. <laughs> Lovely to have you. By Jordan St. John, a Canada-based beer writer, author, educator. Hi, Jordan. Hi there. I'm glad to be here in the living room. It's a real change of pace from the bedroom. Ooh, lengthy. Uh, uh, <laughs> it. <laughs> and, it's earlier uh, in Canada. That's the problem. It's earlier. That's true. And uh, by Miranda Hudson, uh, co-founder of Duration Brewing, Duration Brewery in in the UK. And delighted to have you on the show. Hi, Miranda. Hi there. As is uh, traditional on the show, before we get into the media conversation, we're just going to do around the room, check in with everybody, see what they're doing and what are they drinking. Miranda, maybe we can start with you. Yeah, absolutely. So I am cracking open one of Abbey's that we packed last week. Um, I actually was drinking a lot of Boxcar and Unity over the weekend, but have run out, so sadly have gone on to my own supplies. So it's just a nice, uh, light, crisp 3% table fail. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, you know. I think, um, I don't want to say I've come out the other side because I'll jinx it, but I've got used to being in the in-between, let's say. (laughs) There are worse places to be right now, I think. Yeah, I'm in a very beautiful part of the country. So out in Norfolk very rural and it really doesn't feel that different on a day-to-day because it's not a people-heavy kind of part of the country. Um, so that's no, nice. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Jo- Jordan, moving on to you. How are you doing and what are you drinking? Well, I'm doing just fine. Uh, I'm in midtown Toronto. For those of you in the UK, uh, it's a little bit like uh, Elephant and Castle in South London and there are a lot of tower blocks which means that there are a lot of people, which means that you are basically staying in your box in the sky for the duration of this thing. Um, but, you know, there's beer delivery, so that's fine. That's good. Um, and uh, are you drinking something that was delivered recently? I am, actually. I'm drinking... Um, I, I managed to get out of the building the other day. It was like Patrick McGowan. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> I went across to Amsterdam Brewery, which is in Side, and they've got a new product called Pure Pilsner, which is... Um, like it's the end result of five or six different iterations of a beer that they've made over the years called Stark Pilsner. So it's um, 5.2%, nicely floral, get a lot of noble hop character, uh, sort of the swing around from big juicy IPAs. You know, people want that lighter, crisper kind of thing now. Absolutely. And rounding out our trio uh, of guests this evening, Susan 
How are you doing and what are you drinking? I'm doing okay, Owen. I think I, I think in this kind of situation, you could always be doing worse. So <laughs> it's a rather pessimistic outlook. That's the spirit. I'm a bit bacchettian about it. I'm like, same day, it could be worse. So as long as it's still just the same level of okayness, then we're all right. Uh, so I'm based in Kildare in Ireland. Um, and yeah, no, things like things are okay. No one I know is sick at the moment. So that's all right. And um, I'm sitting here chatting to you, drinking a Dan Kelly's cider. So I'm cheating on beer with some cider. Oh this evening um, for a little bit of a mix-up. Um, I had some cider delivered because there was um, Gabe Cook was doing an online cider tasting a couple of weekends ago and I happened to find this when it was left over and it's spent a little bit of time in a bourbon barrel as well and it's just delicious. And um, well that all sounds delicious and uh, I usually forget to say what I'm doing, uh, yeah. what I'm drinking and, and how I'm doing. It's sort of something that I've forgotten to do but I'll do it now quickly. I'm drinking a couple of fresh cans I got in the house last week from uh, Brasserie L'Hermitage for those of you who don't know the brewery and don't know Brussels that well, it's a new brewery, well, new brewery there, about two years old, based just around the corner from Cantillon. Uh, and I'm doing okay. Uh, my arse is a little bit sore because I went out for a long cycle ride yesterday uh, and lockdown police, please don't come and get me. Um, and it was the first time I'd been, in the, I'd been in the saddle for more than five kilometers and I was feeling a little bit tender today, but uh, feeling all right now. Not to get too graphic about yeah. it too early in the podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but um, Susan, maybe we can have a quick chat just because um, yeah. you were just last of the trio. How are things in Kildare at the moment? Because I know sort of things are beginning to loosen a little bit in Ireland, but it's it's a sort of it's quite a long process. Yeah, today's the first day of like we've entered, um, I think they're calling it level one or zone one, um, which basically means that um, there's no real change except people can go to hardware stores. So people can queue up for hours <laughs> to buy bedding plants and woodies. Like I really just don't get what's going on. Um, I find this whole thing so strange because I think that there's a level of um, these kind of like untapped dreams that people have had their whole life and they felt that what was holding them back from being an Olympian or a marathon runner or an amazing Chelsea Garden um, winner is the fact that they didn't have enough time on their hands and now they have loads of time but I'm not actually sure they're going to be brilliant at it so <laughs> I, it all kind of we'll wait and see I'm surprisingly happy staying indoors um, I have given into this life of um, sloth and luxury <laughs> and I'm really I'm, I'm quite happy happy I think it's because generally I'm quite productive um, and I tend to be really quite social um, so now this is just a very different change of pace for me so I'm I'm you know it's it's okay but things are yeah things are weird and things are strange but um, yeah it's um, I think it's the same kind of everywhere but um, yeah I'm just trying to get through it I suppose but also getting new I think we're just gonna have to realize that there's just this new normal that we're all living in now and it's not going to be the same um not to be again totally pessimistic about it <laughs> it'll never be the same again but it's more the fact that um yeah we just kind of have to um have to put up with it and I'm living at home at the moment I'm living with my sister and my dad which is good so I've got a bit of company but it does mean as a woman with no children I have inherited a 69 year old teenager um and trying <laughs> to keep hold of him I'm like nearly hiding the car keys on him and I'm saying ridiculous things like well you don't need a jacket to go to the other room do you dad um when he tries to make a break for freedom to like go to Tesco or something ridiculous <laughs> so it's it's definitely a learning curve and the shoes on the other foot so um are you gonna yeah. are you gonna have to are you gonna have to tag him at a certain point so that you know where he is yeah I 
I think we're nearly on to that like at this stage although he hasn't like he's pretty good he hasn't gone he hasn't gone too far there's nowhere for him to really go um, and he's contented himself in the garden um, he's a beekeeper so it's a busy time of the year for bees so um, he's out in bee suits and there's swarms and it's yeah it's definitely keeping him busy which is good because um, we've had a hard time since Christmas because my mum died unexpectedly at the New Year so yeah. um, it's been um, I feel like I had the heads up on lockdown before this so <laughs> I was only emerging and then it was like right the world is telling me you are not quite ready to deal with to deal with getting back to normal life yet and put the entire world into um into lockdown so um it's been yeah it's been a strange time but maybe i needed more time so i'm getting used to having that well that's good and it's good to be around family as well i suppose i don't have a choice zone (laughs) well look i love when you're thinking of the positive i'm like oh well here we are but it is better than being on my own I don't want. I don't want to rabbit on about it. I'm also stuck with a family, a family of my own making, so mm-hmm. it's my own fault. But uh, you know, we're looking into a very long summer with two children at home, trying desperately to figure out ways that we could sneak them to stay with their grandmothers or their <laughs> aunts or their uncles. You know, so that's good. But um, I know. I mean, you guys have a bar and um and an off license. Yes, we do. In Kildare, mm-hmm. how has? I mean, obviously the bar is still closed. Yes at least until the late summer. Yeah. Um, how has the off-license trade been? Um, our off-license trade hasn't been brilliant. Um, Judy has been opening it. Judy's my sister. She's been opening it on um, the weekend, so Thursdays to Sundays um, for a few hours. I think initially just to see how things were going. Um, and so I think what was happening in at the beginning of this was that people were just going out once and going to a supermarket, and that was really it. And then over the last couple of weeks, things have changed a little bit. So um, trade is picking up a little bit. Um, um, and people are looking for more unusual things. I think this is kind of the marker for this. People aren't drinking what you would expect them to drink. And even on a very kind of anecdotal and personal level, I find that I'm like I said, I was cheating on beer tonight with cider. <laughs> I've been cheating on all the normal things I drink with all kinds of unusual things because I'm kind of I don't know. I'm thirsty for different flavors and um, not an awful lot of alcohol, but just something to kind of shock the system a bit, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So I've been drinking like lots of whiskeys and I've been drinking um, bitter drinks, lots of vermouths and um, those kind of things. And my sister finds the same thing in, in the off license, that there's just things that are are selling that have not sold in a long time. So she's finding <laughs> stocking it quite, um, quite an unusual thing to do because people are just um, she says like people are coming in and buying bottles of champagne on a ch- on a Thursday for no particular reason um, and I'm like I think that's a good thing I think we should be drinking our best our best stuff I was um, I was chatting to Alice Fearing the wine writer as she writes a lot about natural wines and she said that she wrote a piece about how at the beginning of the lockdown she went out to buy lots of not very great wine like good stuff but just <laughs> stuff that she didn't mind missing people drinking it with so um, I think there's a lot of that I found that with beer I've realised particularly that I think it is the most social of drinks um, and it's yeah. like every time I open a beer I just really miss the people that I might be drinking it with um and I've I, found I have to agree that loss really hard I, I can actually see my local pub from my balcony Aww. and it's, it's just hard so <laughs> like I, I do actually have the cellar full of beer over the years people have sent imperial stout and the running joke is, I'm not sure whether I have been cellaring it or whether I just don't feel like drinking Imperial Stout ever. Um, but there's a lot of it on hand. And for whatever reason, you know, I'm still ordering a case of beer every two weeks. So like 24 short cans will show up. And it's usually stuff that I would be drinking at the pub. So it turns out that it hasn't changed my habits all that much. 
um, despite the fact that there's all this availability of really fantastic stuff in the cellar. I, I haven't really even looked in there yet. I think it's because it's that social aspect, like the really nice things I want to share with someone else. And um, I really do. I want someone around to be able to go, oh, and do a bottle share. And, and, and then the stuff that I'm used to drinking, that again has those memory things of how I'm used to drinking them with other people. And when I don't have that, it's just, it's very strange. It's also interesting because at the moment I had to like pivot with work and things and I'm doing a PhD at the moment. And um, the PhD is on the importance of like place and storytelling and setting to how we consume beverages. Um, and it's really just put it into a really sharp focus that where and you drink something and who you drink that thing with is so essential to the experience and to the enjoyment of that thing. So, um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I wrote a, a blog piece fairly early on here, uh, 10 pubs that I would rather be in than my apartment. <laughs> um, and you only had 10. That's a hard list. <laughs> this kind of sounds like I go down. anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, we had your friend or rival, I don't know, Stephen Beaumont, uh, also in Toronto on a couple of weeks ago. And Steve was saying that uh, Toronto was quite an eerie place back then because I think lockdown was still pretty, pretty strict. How is Toronto at the moment? Well, this is not a good time to like evaluate that. It is a bank holiday Monday here. So it, it's emptier than usual right now. Like if you stood on the balcony, you might not see anybody for five minutes, that kind of thing. It's not like Wuhan, like the footage of that early on. What it is really is just like, it, it's a lot more empty than it tends to be. Uh, Miranda, now the three of us have been moping about how hard it is to be I indoors and, and drinking on our own, but you're actually pretty you're actually pretty busy right now because you're running a brewery which opened up not too long ago. And I know when we were setting up, uh, your participation this evening, you were saying that today was a busy packing day. So how are things for you out in, out I mean, of the brewery? Out in the it's area? like warp speed, you know, like history has become a media. We can remember yesterday like it was two years ago because they're bygone times. And then tomorrow we don't know. And yet where I'm at is I opened a brewery five months ago and um, there are four of us actually one of us had a baby today, so we have cause for celebration. Oh, oh uh, congratulations. Thank you very much. It wasn't me. It was uh, our production manager, Hayden. <laughs> no, <I've... laughs> you would be going above and beyond the call of duty, Miranda, yeah. if you'd given birth this morning and decided to come on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> what are you drinking? It's an epidural. <laughs> My life has been a bit of a whirlwind. I'm not going to lie. Um, I can't look at people making sourdough bread and telling me, um, you know, all of the pastimes and hobbies they're getting into because I just haven't been afforded that luxury. So um, <laughs> enjoy it. I'm really happy for you. I can't look at it, but I hope it tastes nice. <laughs> um, it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been, hmm, it's been intense, uh, fluctuating, um, challenging, rewarding, heartfelt, emotional, all kinds in between we're, we're quite a small team um so so we're used to wearing many hats um and yeah we've just been planning to keep Hamish safe so that he could make sure he was in his delivery room which when you're running a manufacturing business uh that needs a lot of physicality it's quite hard to think of how you how you fulfill you know a hundred orders with with no one uh being able to go near each other and all the touch points 
but it's been it's been um really interesting as a new business owner you know like on the 16th of march 85 percent of my orders disappeared and we were entirely wholesale based so i was like oh we just lost our entire route to market um oh that's kind of big but i think it was helpful because it was so complete um that it just meant yeah. like you know piss or get off the post so to speak like we just had to get on with it and um, yeah yeah so there's no hesitation you there was no yeah so it was like right we need to think fast think on our feet become very responsive become very adaptive and it's survival so we rung up all of our wholesalers we said how are you planning to do this some of them said they were going to shut some of them said they were going to go to small pack some of them just didn't know then we said okay we're gonna you know we'd given a lot of brand support as a brewery that had spent a long time coming into being and doing lots of events and all that kind of stuff we we basically just got on the phone for a couple of weeks and spoke to all of our accounts that we know uh, whether we supply them direct or not and said look it seems like things are going to change we're gonna do this do you do you want us to supply you and um yeah, we also had to adjust what we were going to do with our actual production because we were pretty much 50-50 across mm. and small pack. The great thing is that we have yeah. a very uh, strong system. So we, we spent a long time designing our equipment and looking at our flow processes and not just on the production side, you know, looking at how we manage our inventory. And we've got a lot of systems in place that thankfully are scalable and um systematic so 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 yeah we, we were able to adapt uh, change our customer base from a sort of wholesale model to a tra- direct to trade model and then yeah we do have a canning line which meant we could um and we did already have an online shop set up because we saw a lot of our trade customers yeah all scrambled to set up an online shop and you know we spent a lot of time planning hours so i just can't imagine some of our, you know, down the supply chain, what some of the lengths people have had to go to to sort of try to keep going. So, yeah, we we, we yeah. see a huge increase in online sales, but we also think it's really important, as, a, as a, especially as a young brewery, to put our wares out in the wider market. So we've been, um, you know, supplying to trade as well. I mean, you are saying that duration was a long time um in the works and I can tell from your accent that you're not a Norfolk native Uh, so how did you end up out there in what's relative you know in the relative wilds of 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 Norfolk uh, opening a brewery yeah so so we um we really wanted to pursue a kind of modern farmhouse model for our brewery um and in order to do that we thought we should really be on a farm and so when we set our criteria <laughs> for where we wanted to be, we thought we need um, a really nice uh, diversity in the sort of ecosystem out here. And we wanted to be near a, a, a water source. So we're near a lovely river. We wanted a really nice, um, you know, established fruit trees and, and just to be in amongst the agriculture that is going to be informing our beers. So we wanted a little bit of creative solitude and um, just to be close to the farming life that, that would be informing the beers, really. So I'm a Londoner and uh, our brewer and my husband is a South Carolinian. He actually finds Norfolk being a little bit of a peninsula and a sort of, 
you have to want to go there kind of place. Um, he kind of feels like he really relates to the Norfolk mindset, which, you know, is a little bit um, traditional. A lot of people are connected either to fishing or there's a lot of arts here. There's a lot of people who, who get on with what they love doing. And, and he really likes that. And the landscape is quite similar, like long, sweeping coastlines, quite flat terrain, a lot of farmland. Um, so yeah, he, he wanted to pick out here really. We, we were weighing up how close, how far away I could leave London, um, given that I'm a born and raised Londoner and a very sort of hardened city girl. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we thought 90 minutes on the train was plenty, but you get a totally different landscape. We're right near crisp maltings. Um, you know, there's lots of different producers here that we can sort of form a little bit of a nexus with and put into our beers some of their produce so if the brewery is based in norfolk what what's the actual market that you had targeted initially i mean it seems like you've made a, a humongous pivot uh, very recently but um, were you looking to sell to london or is there enough sort of uh, population in norfolk to soak up the volume from new breweries as well i think that we have been nationally focused so we had six regional wholesalers and we were very much going for a niche sort of craft beer audience. And then um, the other aspect was that we wanted to sort of drive a local market, um, but very slowly because it's, you know, there's a lot of cast drinkers um, out here. And I think craft beer is incredibly new for a lot of those people. Um, so we were just gently opening our brewery once a month for a sort of little bit of a look around and some can pickups. And we really um, not push too hard, but have a really nice crowd that have sort of discovered us and come and they come and pick up every month, although we're not doing that at the moment. So I think our plan was to cast the net wide and then contract in on a very gentle, um, organic kind of level. Sure. We have a, we have a wine region east of Toronto mm-hmm. called Prince Edward County. And um, they've actually been doing spectacular business from a couple of those breweries. There's one called Matron that had opened, I want to say, nearly a year ago. Mm-hmm. But because of the um, the online sales driving their um, business at this point, they're, they're doing case sales across the entire province. I mean, they're doing free delivery yeah. to the extent where they, they probably deliver five days a week to various cities across the province. And, wow. and it's a market that simply wouldn't have existed without this situation. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that there's like a, an ongoing benefit to the exposure that you've had locally that you wouldn't have had uh, given the other plan? I feel I feel like, yes. I feel like we've kind of tried to bring a lot of storytelling into our um, business. And so I think we've always wanted to sort of champion how beautiful where we are is. And we're also in like a monastic ruin and it's it's a very beautiful 16th century stone barn so I think we've always had this very evocative romantic sense of our brewery as a place that you can step away from your day-to-day maybe escape the city and come and sort of taste a slightly different way and I think that's that's hugely compelling um and not just locally but I feel like especially during this lockdown period we've been doing a few online tour and tasting events the people that have come along to those are actually really, a lot of them are very, very close by to us. And they said, oh, we've, we've seen you here and there in social media. And 
and uh, we've always meant to come along and now that we can't we're coming this way isn't that ironic and so I feel like yeah locally it's 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 really interesting to see that we're growing probably a little quicker than we thought we would. I think that's an interesting point that you say that, you know, there are people nearby who have um, <clears throat> seen you guys and had it on their to-do list to come and visit at a certain point. And now, obviously, things have changed so dramatically. And, and, and now is the time that they're visiting. I feel like that's something, and it feeds a little back into what Susan was saying about, you know, people want to become expert gardeners and all the rest of it. But there are things in our lists now that, Either we have the time or we just say, oh, fuck it, you know, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I've been putting it on, put, as we would say in Ireland, been putting it on the long finger mm-hmm. yeah. I think as for well, so long. This is, it's really heartening to hear that because it does open possibilities. When you get something that's such a major change, um, it creates disruption. And then it's nice to see that there's, there's just other ways of thinking and people are outside their patterns. Um, and that's really heartening to see that because um, I think, particularly when I think about craft beer in Ireland, a lot of um, some of the struggles that I've heard from um, friends of mine who are brewers is that um, distribution is a really big issue in Ireland um, because we're a small country but our road network is um, is very Dublin directed so it's like all roads lead to Dublin and if you're not interested in going to Dublin it can make it really hard to get your beer in other places and now it's just kind of caused this level of disruption where people are thinking on their feet and thinking about how they can connect directly to people and again like you were saying Miranda telling more of their stories so mm-hmm. now it's not just like what's new behind a bar it's like well why would I invest in these people yeah. you know why what what part of their story do I want to literally imbibe and embody and that's really exciting really nice to see coming out of this um, I mean, do, you think, do you think I feel like there's a real um, ethical question as well at play so a lot of people are sort of thinking yeah. about supply chains and supply and demand and you know the the, the mm-hmm. impact say of Amazon and I don't know just a lot of people yeah. if, if if I'm stuck indoors and I want to be more experimental because I've got the time to but also I'm really thinking about the provenance of what I'm buying and not just you know the actual ingredients yeah. but the the whole ecosystem of that supply chain then people are thinking well yeah I want to support yeah I think so local and support like a local business or I want to support something that really mm-hmm. means something and matters. And I think that realization that you can't put that genie back in the bottle. Yeah, I think that I think it's going to cause a huge mind shift. And I think it's in one respect really healthy. Um, I know that from our perspective in the pub, we're planning to set up a branch of there's um, a food network called Neighbor Food um, that. It's kind of like uh, you do kind of online marketplaces for lots of small producers and then you have a one centralized pickup point Um, and we're planning to um, launch a branch of that in our our pub um, in the next couple of, well, next week, actually, hopefully things will be online with it. But it's also the opportunity then, which is it's like it's a really lovely network and a lovely idea. Um, And what it does is it just creates a centralized point as well. So while lots of smaller producers are scrambling to get their distribution and their packaging and all that sorted with something like neighbor food coming on board it means that then you have one centralized place that you as a small producer can do a drop off to this neighbor food and then a neighbor food 20 miles down the road or another neighbor food all in one time so it makes the it makes the workload for the smaller producers much more manageable as well Mm -hmm. because again this idea of distribution can be really hard especially and particularly when you're talking about beer because beer is bulky and if you haven't got those things worked out beforehand it can be really hard to get 
your stuff to the people who want it. So it's really nice to see um, these like little seeds of ideas because Neighbour Food has been established for a while, but it hadn't quite clicked into the kind of consciousness um, because people didn't see the need for it when they felt that they could go to their local farmer's market or they could, even if they were ethically sourcing things from places, they had those physical places to go to. But now the opportunity to be able to browse online, pick what you want, and then the convenience of going to one place and one time and picking up all this stuff from gorgeous small producers is I think it's going to cause a huge sea change and I hope for the better um, because I like to think that something positive comes out of any form of disruption so um, fingers crossed it I know there's me with the I'm I'm pessimistic and optimistic at the same time (laughs) or maybe I'm just a pessimist who keeps doing the same thing and hoping for a different reaction we've actually had a massive disruption here Uh, Ontario is comparatively famous for having a terrible beer industry like the market is uh, delineated entirely for the benefit of large multinational companies as a result of mergers and acquisitions over the course of the 20th century. So we have this entity called The Beer Store. And The Beer Store is like 440 locations across the province. It's the kind of place where they just had empty cans and bottles on the wall and you would point to which one you wanted and they would talk into a microphone and then it would come out from the back on metal rollers. Like this was how people wow. ordered beer here. It's not very civilized. It's very Soviet. Um, but at the beginning of this crisis, uh, this lockdown, what ended up happening is that they were held for ransom, believe it or not. There was a hack on the beer store. Oh, and I heard about their, this. Yeah, yeah, this is incredible. Like, go on. <laughs> all of their point of sale machines went down basically immediately. And the solution to this uh, would have been, uh, obviously, to have better equipment. <laughs> yeah. But um, in in short of that, what they ended up having to do is replace all of the hard drives for all of the machines. And because this uh, system is set up to benefit the big brewers, there's this bottle float. So, you know, you buy a case of beer, you bring it back for the deposit, and those bottles go back to the brewers, they can reuse them like 15 times, that kind of thing. Except that in a lockdown, you can't take the bottles back because it's a disease mm. vector. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also they can't sell any bottles because the point of sale is down. So you had 35% of the Canadian beer market, at least in Ontario, basically immobilized. And what's going to end up happening as a result of this is that all of the custom that shifted to small local breweries is going to remain with the small local breweries. That's fantastic. Like it's just these kind of things that can come out of a situation like this that are so unexpected as well from especially something like that like an organization that held such a huge proportion of the market and had it without even having to think about it that then something technological like this um comes in to disrupt it that's fascinating Miranda did you uh, I, I thought I heard you trying to get in there oh no I'm just agreeing before with this increased connectivity that Susan was saying it's almost like things are stripped back mm. and and you know, like a lot of people are talking about they get on better with their neighbours now than they ever have because they're all sort of shut down. And so I think yeah. the really important thing is connections are happening more. So people are sort of seeing like mm-hmm. there's this unveiling of um, of all of the layers of complication. And it's I feel like there's a lot more truth out there, like there's a lot more realisation, um, empathy and all those kind of things. So... And I think it comes back to what 
Yeah, what you were saying, Miranda, about when people have more, um, I suppose they have a little bit more time to consider the Mm -hmm. choices that they're making. Like, I think people end up in patterns. Where I am in Kildare, it's very much a commuter town. So um, it's when there's no traffic, you're 40 minutes away from Dublin. Um, But when there is traffic, you're an hour and a half, two hours. So there's a lot of people who spend up to four hours of their day sitting on the M7, just waiting to get home or get to work. And I can understand how that would just grind you down and make you absolutely exhausted. So I don't blame them for grabbing um, a meal from Marks and Spencer's that they can shove in the microwave when they get home. Um, But now I think that there's the opportunity to change. Um, And I think that's really exciting. Like, I think people are... it, it goes across everything that people are consuming. And also, I think there's a kind of a decluttering of what you think you need. Like shoes handbags these things that get sold to you like what is the purpose of them (laughs) you know yeah i'm like it's so it's so polarizing and so clarifying to see that you're like these so so much energy is spent on selling you shit you just don't need (laughs) and it's so incredibly freeing i'm i'm really curious to see what consumerism because um yeah yeah like I'm really keen to see all the trends you know like we've noticed just just Mm -hmm. in a short time that people are going well with our audience anyway are going a lot lower ABV which is great for us because our range sort of tries to celebrate balance and not necessarily hop dosing everything Mm -hmm. for the length of its life and um yeah I feel like people are kind of Look, reassessing all their values aren't there and thinking what's really needed and what do I yeah love? what's beautiful to me yeah I wonder if we're going I, I would love to think that we're heading into some kind of um post-consumerist revolution where um where people are realizing that actually the choices that they make with the money that they spend have a real impact on people's lives and livelihoods um and not even reaching within their locality but even beyond that that we're all so connected with it um I've noticed that like I've been buying a lot more fish recently um which is like I, I enjoyed fish and I ate fish quite a lot but I tended to eat fish when I was out because I didn't want to be tied down by the fact that I had something delicious in my fridge and that stopped me maybe you know changing dinner plans and going out with a friend I liked the the possibility of doing different things but I've been eating a lot more fish since I've been um, in lockdown and it's been amazing like lobsters they're incredible (laughs) they arrive in the post live it's amazing and they cost like two for 19 euro I'm like this is a you know there's a these aspects of it and they're all you know they're sustainably fished off the coast and, and yeah. they arrive and I I just I my mind is blown by by that fact particularly so, in Ireland because we don't like eating fish um, we don't we really we don't. don't like eating fish this is it I, I didn't want to I didn't want to say it Susan but this is a fish free podcast I'm yeah afraid. you know that's all right Owen. <laughs> we might um, convince for those... you one day Pre- previous listeners right, might remember the discussion we had about tuna a salad, yes or no. The definitive answer to that was certainly no. <laughs> and for, for listeners who are outside of Ireland, they might not realise that there was a minor political scandal in the last month when one of uh, senior politicians yes. was discovered buying oysters and <laughs> lobster yeah. from the local supermarket. And he, he, he runs on a, uh, you could best be described as a populist left-wing mm. party. And they thought he is a champagne socialist. Yep, there was, there was a lot of let them eat hake. Um, <laughs> and he was like, no, I wouldn't eat hake. Hake isn't sustainable. Oysters are fine. And it, it just creates um, a really, for so long, particularly in 
relation to uh, to our fishing within Ireland. We have we have so in our fishing waters are so enormous, but it was one of the things that we ended up trading off um, when we joined the EU um, in the 1970s. So there was, I suppose, everyone has to give something back, and and our fishing waters were something that that we ended up um, relinquishing a lot of rights to, um, so that we could retain being able to um, to farm as effectively as as we farm on land, I suppose. And and it's always been kind of a bit of a bugbear when you see these enormous super trawlers that come in and sweep up all the fish and other people can um, appreciate this product. And yet, like I'm living probably what, maybe 40 minutes away from the coastline, but because that's inland, it's not expected that in Kildare you'd ever have fresh fish. And that's ridiculous. It's all an island. So it's yeah. definitely okay. a bit of change. Um, we will have Susan on, uh, or should I say, Bort Bia on the uh, next episode of the podcast. <laughs> I am sure. not even doing like I'm not even doing a fish project at the moment. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. All right. Is there anything anybody wants to talk about before we start moving towards the wrap up process? Anything that had come into your mind as we were talking over the last half an hour that you really wanted to raise before we before we start to say go- say our goodbyes? Well, there is one thing that I'd like to say, but. Uh... I think it's going to annoy Miranda while also justifying a point that she made. Mm-hmm. I have right, taken well, up uh, making sourdough and I'm actually giving it to the neighbors. Oh, <laughs> so the, the luxury on the one hand, like the amount of time, not great. But on the other hand, hey, it is bringing people closer together. So that's yeah. very, very good. I guess, I guess I've, I've got a seven year, I've got an eight year old um, who turned eight during lockdown. And I guess I feel like it's really interesting to see things through the eyes of a child and her ability to adapt. She's come in and helped us at the brewery here and there. She's been doing a little bit of a marketing campaign for me. She, she, she's, you know, we've had to sort of discuss mortality with her around this because we've had a couple of Mm -hmm. friends, sadly, that we've lost um, in this time. And I think that we're all sort of realizing how adaptive we all can be and how it's not that hard and you know really with with furlough at least in the UK no one's in that bad of a boat as long as you don't get sick so I feel like it it, it can only be good at deciding how we want to reconstruct the bits that were broken when we come back but I am really curious as to Mm. how how we will come back and and whether we'll forget all of this extra thinking and extra time Mm. and you know what will we bring back and what won't we? It's, it, it really fascinates me. I think it's an amazing time. You never get everything to stop. And even though I haven't entirely stopped, I can see that a lot of the world has. And like that's, that's, that can only be a beautiful thing if we all make it out alive, which we know we won't. But if we can learn lessons and then come back, that just fascinates me. Look, I could, I could sit here chatting to you guys and listening to you guys all night. Uh, before we wrap up, uh, this is a chance for you guys to give a bit of a plug to what you're working on or where people can find what you're doing. Uh, Miranda, I think probably easiest is to start with you. Um, yeah. If people are interested in your work at Duration, where can where can they find yeah, it? Yeah, so across social media, we are at Duration Beer. And we also have durationbeer.com as a website where you can learn about our blogs and the events we aren't doing at the moment. But you can also buy some beer and mm-hmm. just, yeah. That's where we are. And Susan, if anybody's looking out for you, where can they find you? Yeah, I have, um, at the moment, I find that my favourite, my social network of preference is Twitter, where <laughs> I am just throwing out all of my ideas at the moment. Um, so yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. Hard to find me because I'm not the other Susan Boyle. Um, but yeah, Susan Boyle and 
Beer or uh, Susan Boyle and Kildare or anything Irish, you'll, you'll find me. Um, so I have some exciting projects that are going to be coming up. A lot of the stuff I'm doing, Owen, is on hold. Um, so I'm beavering away in the background at things. So I can't promise to be super exciting. But that's if you want to get in touch, that's where you'll find me. That's good. Don't Google Susan Boyle. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, new record out last <laughs> yeah unfortunately well you never know like <laughs> maybe it's i should gonna, start being more artistic <laughs> it's gonna do wonders for the seo of the podcast um jordan last but not least where can people find what you're working on my erotic fiction is of course available through amazon <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh the the instagram account is uh, jordan.stjohn and you know i've got a blog it's st john's word i'm currently working on a fairly interesting hop project for the ontario hop growers and you know i'm keeping things up to date there all right uh that's a wrap um for me to you thank you very much for coming on the show susan miranda jordan it's been a fantastic conversation i've loved having a chat with you guys uh, as I say to all my guests, I'd love to have you on again soon um, and at some point share a beer with you in person in the future. But for now, I'll say stay safe, stay well and take care. Thanks very much. Good night. Thanks, Owen. And that's it for today's episode of Cabin Fever. Many thanks to our guests and to all you listeners out there. If you enjoyed today's show, do make sure to subscribe And we'd really appreciate it if you'd give us a review on whatever podcast platform you're using. Until the next time.